0: You could have label makers that print out those, you know, like little strips. Yeah, yeah, you could, yeah, There was a strip with the name of the server, like, said, like taped on the top of the box, yeah. <laughs> and it was. And no, but nobody. But no thought one knew what to, that meant. No right. one. No
1: one was like, when I unplug this, right? Dash it,
0: dev dash O2 is going to go offline. It like
1: the entire engineering team is going to be halted in their tracks. Right. Like they can no longer do their work. Right. Hello, world. Welcome to the Postlight podcast. I'm Gina Trapani, CEO of Postlight. As always, I'm joined by my partner and president of Postlight, Chris Lasacco. Hey, Chris. Hey, Gina. How are you today? I'm great.
0: I'm great. How are you?
1: Good. I was thinking about the earliest part of my career and how it sort of it sort of changed. Mm. I think you and I share something in that. I think deep down, and you tell me if this is <laughs> correct or not. Okay. I think deep down, each one of us is like. An IT person, like, oh, a, like a kind of a little bit of an IT person. You're
0: so right. It's true, right? What do you mean? I, I mean, <laughs> I, I have an intrinsic sense of what you mean, but let's make it explicit. Like when yeah. you say IT person.
1: I mean, both of us love... Empowering people to do their job yep. and giving people the tools they need to give their job to do their job, right? I mean, what we do is we develop platforms and products so that people can get things done better and more easily and have a good experience along the way. So yep. I, I think there's something inherent and really in anybody who works in technology, whether that's enabling people to use technology, which is kind of on the IT side, right, or building new products. That there's this desire: I want to get good tools into people's hands so yep. that they
0: can. Get their stuff done. Exactly. We should step back. Let's define IT. Let's define IT. Right? IT stands for information technology. Yep. It, it can mean kind of anything to anyone. But when we say IT, I think we are talking about large scale ownership of infrastructure and configured tooling that gets mm-hmm. rolled out across an organization. That's is right. Is that a fair definition? Yeah,
1: that is a fair definition. You know, I started out kind of an IT. My I worked at the help desk through college. I mean the help desk is one sort of part, I think, of an mm-hmm. IT organization. Sure. My first like job out of school, and I'm dating myself here, but it was you know late '90s, and I worked at an elevator company with my brother, family business. Okay. In IT, we were IT support, and the office was two floors. The, on the bottom floor was the factory floor, so this okay. is a company that designed and manufactured ele- and tested elevator parts. That's super cool. The upstairs, the second floor, was the office, and so it's late '90s, everyone's got these PCs on their desks. It's a very dirty and loud kind of the factory in particular is like a particular environment. So I spent my days, you know, setting up and configuring like the server rack and like running Ethernet cords, like flimping the ends of Ethernet cords, like troubleshooting these PC, like work, these workstations. One of the memories that's burned into my brain, we had a Novell server okay, and there was a shared folder that the entire company worked off of. So it's an elevator company, right? So this is one shared folder, and it's got all these subfolders inside of it. Each folder is the, is the address of the building, okay? Oh, wow, okay. For, the, for that particular I mean, project. I that makes
0: sense. That's a logical data model. Yeah,
1: yeah. All the CAD drawings, all the configuration, sure. the yep. invoices, the billing, everything. So like if you, you know, at any given moment, you're working on a particular building, you go to that folder in this air drive, and you access the files. And again, the, the factory floor was kind of dirty, and the equipment was old. And the mice, like the mouse at each brook station, had a physical trackball inside of it. Oh, sure. But you know, with the dust and just the dirt and things, they the get tr- pretty the, grimy. They get grimy, and the trackball would get stuck. And mm-hmm. sometimes even the the physical buttons, which you would click on the mice, would get kind of stuck. Yep. One of my colleagues, like early one morning, was mousing around on her desktop. Okay. And everybody's desktop had a had a link to the shared drive. Sure.
0: Yep. I'm already getting nervous. Yeah, you're getting just nervous, here, right? Here. You're getting
1: nervous. <laughs> Keep going. She accidentally, and it's not her fault because her, literally the mouse got stuck. Wouldn't work. Yeah. Accidentally dragged and dropped the shared folder, like into another folder, which then cut off access. Like no one, it was, it was no longer shared to the rest of the company. So oh, the shared drive God. goes away. It disappears. Literally work stopped. Everyone's like, we Can- can't do anything. Gone. Yeah. We can't get to anything. And me and my brother spent the day. Now you got to imagine this. There are people like standing in the hallways. You know, it's like a cubicle kind of situation, drinking yeah. their coffee, going like, yeah, can't get to the shared or can't do <laughs> oh anything. God. And we're going from workstation to workstation. We're back, We're like, you know, when is the last, you know, the last backup? Like we're trying to restore. Like what, at what point do we do a snapshot? It was painful and there were several hours of like total downtime where no one could get any work done. And it yeah. burned into my brain because it was so painful. And when we realized that it was because my colleague's mouse, like when we isolated the workstation where it happened and then I like, tried to use that workstation and saw that the mouse was in such a bad shape. It was, it was unbelievable that this happened. But it burned into my brain as an IT person, as a support person. Part of your job, and it, it becomes like a big part of your job when a catastrophe like this happens, is to reduce – Risk. Yes. To put up as many guardrails as possible to make what happened in that situation not possible right. to ever happen. That shouldn't have been able to, you know, that shouldn't have happened. It shouldn't be able to happen because you, one person making an innocent mistake shouldn't take the whole company offline. Exactly. So I think about that a lot now, 20 million years later, <laughs> when I'm frustrated with an IT department mm-hmm. who doesn't want to give you access to the thing or is saying, here are our rules. I have to remember. Like these folks' job is to reduce risk, to put up guardrails, to make give sure you the company access, can run. Make sure the company can run. Reduce yep. any risk that someone's going to like cut off access.
0: Yeah, no, no, <laughs> to that shared folder. I have. I, can we just first of all appreciate the power of the shared folder? Ooh. We're we're still working that way today. In a lot yeah. of ways, it's yeah. just the shared folder it, exists in, in the cloud: Google Drive That's or right. Microsoft SharePoint or something like that. That's
1: right. That's right. Um,
0: but man, so many companies, I guarantee you, are like, did you put that on the M drive or whatever yes, it's called? Yes, that yes, yeah, that's
1: right. That's right. It was like the M drive. Yeah. It was some like, very far letter far up the alphabet, yeah. right? And like, that's
0: how the world ran. That's how the
1: world ran. That's all, right.
0: I remember early in my career, all of my clients had a similar version of that. I have a story that's somewhat like yours that again speaks to reducing risk. Mm-hmm. I remember an early project that I was working on where one day, you know, the team had a shared development environment Mm -hmm. and one day the development environment went offline Mm -hmm. and nobody could, you know, do their work. It was, a time and place where setting up a local environment was not really possible, it's right? Not, yeah, this th- was pre Docker, pre virtualized environments, mm-hmm. and it was just you know, in order to really see your work, you had to you do had it. You had to be, in the have access
1: to the sh- the devs
0: are right. Nobody right? had, for example, nobody had a local database with all right. of the data, right? right? If they had a local database with like test data, but you couldn't really right. see, and the server just went offline, and mm-hmm. so we, you know, we were trying to debug what's going on, why is this unavailable? Is it a problem with our connections or whatever. It turns out our operations team was moving offices and they had unplugged. They had unplugged it. Something and it got a, unplugged. It was a computer tower that was just plugged in, in the wall and tucked in the corner of a room. Right. And it just got unplugged. And it was this moment where it was like, oh, not only was this totally avoidable, but we didn't even know. We, like right. we didn't even, you know, and it's the same kind of thing. You know, good IT practices is just about Reducing risk, yes. knowing where all your access points are, yes. knowing how you have uh, proper process and redundancy if necessary, so that things and yes. you know the the world has changed a lot in the past fifteen or twenty years, yes. but the the ethos is the same. It's the
1: same, that's right. Good reporting, good alerts when when something's offline, right? Like knowing, yes. yeah, yeah, like. I mean, fast forward to, I mean, PostLight was founded seven, we're seven years old. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. And, and our entire, <laughs> this was like a fun part of our acquisition there. Like, who's your IT team? And like, what is it? Like, what are your server? Like,
0: we just kind of raised our hands. Uh, like,
1: Right. We're <laughs> like, the IT team is us and our IT equipment yeah. like involves a router in our office. Like, we, like right. we run the entire company on a SaaS stack. Like, I, IT for us today was like... Provisioning Google Workspace users and like getting you know managing our Airtable and Figma right. user base and our Slack right. permissions right like that's it's have, all SaaS
0: products. Other than literally the you know the internet setup in the office, we have no physical and right. and everyone's laptops. Like that's we have right. no physical hardware. We have no physical
1: hardware and everyone's laptops. That's right. right.
0: We don't even rent a You know, hardware in a data center. We are all in on software as a service platforms.
1: That's right. That's right. And for our clients, we. Exclusively develop in the cloud as well, right? We're not we're well, not configuring data centers. Is it not? Has it not been?
0: I would exclusive? say exclusive. I mean, we have some clients who have their own on premise hardware yep. okay. or run their own, you know, what I would call like mini data centers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, I guess I do agree with you that from the engineer's perspective, right? From a typical day to day development, it's you're working with the cloud. The cloud. It's just that. The cloud may be a private cloud that's run by, you know, an internal team. Right, right, Um, right, right. But yeah, I mean, we have very much said we're going to help move you, client X, into the cloud and into the the future of modern development.
1: Mm -hmm. That's right. And provisioning a database server is like clicking some buttons in a console. Exactly. It's not actually... (laughs) Building Right. Or a running server. a script. Or running a script even. Yeah. Or running script. That's right.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's another story that I remember from early on is uh, I remember one of our – someone from an, an IT team asked me, you know, how did you set up X, Y, or Z? And I was so embarrassed. I was like, I have a text file with a bunch of commands <laughs> And that then I ran, ran them. in the terminal. I
1: copied and pasted them into the
0: terminal. Yeah. And he was like, can you send me the text file? And I was like, okay. So I, <laughs> I sent it to him. And he was like, this is perfect. This is amazing. Like, Mm -hmm. this is exactly what I needed to be able to replicate all it was was, you know, an early version of like a Docker file. Like it just said, here's (laughs) here's all the things you have to do to spin up this environment. You know? Good
1: shell script.
0: Exactly. And we've now just automated it. It's really interesting when you think about what we do, right? We do modern custom platform development for clients where we are often. Creating new products from scratch, or at the very least, we are modernizing existing applications by bringing new pieces into existence. There is a very interesting connection point with the IT team, if you think about the IT team as managing the infrastructure and reducing the risk around the overall platform.
1: Right, I mean you can make the argument that if IT's, you know, one of IT's main mandates is to reduce risk, you could say that the one of the product teams biggest mandates is to actually take risks.
0: Exactly.
1: Meaning put software out there that's maybe unfinished. Put out features that aren't complete, but and we you don't even know if users like are gonna take to them. You I know? love this. Yeah. Like like it's a very different ethos. It's the it's the opposite. It's right. like we're gonna try some things. We're gonna experiment. We're gonna go like an MVP is, you know, minimum viable product. Like it's not done and it's not ready. And we don't even know if this product is gonna get traction. Like right. we don't actually even know what finished looks like exactly right which is a huge difference between project work and product work right right
0: so okay i love that you're drawing this connection like this parallel but how do you bridge the gap then that is the complete 180 from a mentality you know perspective Perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from how an it group typically looks at things right they say i want to really clear set of requirements. I yeah. want to know exactly what I need to do. I want to know how I can scale this platform and get ahead of things. I want to make sure it never goes down. I want to make sure that it's very clear how to get help and support. Like it's all about reducing all unknowns.
1: Right, I'm meeting every security and compliance regulation I need to because right. I got legal on my back. Exactly. You know, like I got like all so those things. It is
0: a, you know, you said it beautifully. Like it is a very different a totally different mindset. Mindset about it, how you're approaching the work. Yeah.
1: Here's the thing. Reducing risk is, is a mandate. Also, though, IT's job is to help empower and enable people to do their jobs. That's right. Right? Yep. And if a company is becoming digital or a product team is, you know, like, we're going to build a new product, there has to be a give and take there. There has yes. to be a conversation there. You know, we've kicked off projects with big clients that have IT teams that are, you know, very risk averse and very clear about what's, you know, allowed and not allowed. And we we need to get started. I mean, velocity and agility are, you know, very important to us. And, you know, our approach is always like build a relationship with the IT team, talk through, you know, the architecture, if we're going to use a cloud service, what we're going to use. and And in some cases, you know, we spin up those services on our own, yep. separate from the IT organization, but we let them know, like, this is happening, this is what we're building on. And then later... We, you know, we start with an agreement that we are going to transfer ownership of this cloud service, of this SaaS product into your org at some point in the future, right? And so you, so you have to build that relationship and do that negotiation up front. And we've had some IT org say, like, mm, this service, like, it's on our block list. We, we cannot support it. this. Don't mm-hmm. use it. Find one that you can use, you know? It's important to have those conversations up front. I think it's also important to, and we talked about this in our Speedboat versus Tanker episode, right? Like, to get started. And sometimes that means spinning stuff up outside of the environment just to get started exactly. and get some velocity, but with the plan that we're not, you know, we're gonna we're gonna integrate this into your environment. You are gonna take ownership of this, right? Yes. Like we we software that we build is our client's property.
0: Yes. Right. Um one of the ideas that we have really internalized as we've worked for our clients, is building for the handoff. Yes. We, I remember we used to talk a lot about that in the beginning of the company, and it's still very much a part of our DNA today. Mm-hmm. An aspect of building for the handoff is knowing that if you're ultimately going to end up in this kind of environment, how do you make sure that you're making the right choices now? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that your that handoff is as smooth as possible. Yeah. And this is exactly what you're talking about. Like mm-hmm. having that conversation. Don't wait until you're six months in or a year in mm-hmm. before you're sitting down with the CIO or the VP yeah, of that's IT.
1: Very bad idea.
0: Right. And saying, we've got all this stuff. You now need to support. Yeah, this blah, is blah, now blah, yours. Blah, blah, blah. Like, right.
1: Good luck. Here you go. Like, right. Let
0: us know where to transfer it. When we talk about design. Are we talking about, you know, the front end experience and having, you know, a great UX, you know, interaction design? Yes, absolutely. But we are also talking about software architecture. That process happens at the very beginning, especially when you're breaking ground on a brand new platform, a brand new thing Mm -hmm. where you are inherently going to introduce new pieces of technology or new, you know, parts of the technology stack to an organization. Mm -hmm. And that software architecture phase It has to be in collaboration with the team that's ultimately going to support it. And we've done that. We've sat down with CIOs and we say we don't know exactly what the full feature list is going to be. But we do know here are a couple of high-level technology choices we want to make. How does that sound to you, right? right? right. We want to host it on Amazon Web Services and we want to use Postgres as our database and we want to use this as our messaging queue and that, and this is our front-end technology. Does this all like feel right to you? And a lot of the time, the answer is yes, because an early heads up is like, mm-hmm. okay, great. We can be comfortable with this. And if it's no, then we know right. at the beginning and we know that we can make a different choice.
1: That's right. Bad news shared early. Just news, right? Just we o- we always say that. Yep. There are times when we, you know, in, in the interest of trying something new and, and moving quickly, you know, I remember one client we had, they had this like sort of big monolithic platform mm-hmm. and we were adding on a piece to it. And we said, you know what, we just want to spin up this, you know, a couple of SaaS products to get, get there quickly and make sure that like we have – and the engineering team, I remember the engineering team being like, "Well, but, but this isn't part of our monolith. Why wouldn't you work in our monolith?" And mm. but also, in order for you to work in our monolith, we're going to have to like, you know, we're going to have to do a bunch of training and onboarding. you know, on, onboarding and on ramping. And I don't know that we, you know, can get all the permissions for you to see the proprietary data. And so, you know, we went back and forth, and we were like, "Look." it would be so much easier for all of us if you you know if we can spin up this parallel lane work in this kind of sandbox this new sandbox on this new bit you know this this new bit of the thing and then you know later on if this works we can either integrate it back into the monolith or like are you willing to open your hearts to, you know, maintaining this new stack? Sure. And it was hard. Like it was a little, you know, especially I think for the engineering team, I think there's a little like feeling of like, you know, it's like we've worked years and years to build this monolith. Like it's like a little threatening, like it feels like some sort of implicit judgment that like their existing platform, like wasn't good enough for us to build on. And it was just like, no, no, in the interest of expediency and in the interest of keeping us in this one particular lane and like doing this one particular thing that's kind of carved out, like and on the front end it's completely invisible, you know, users don't see the difference. And they agreed. And part of this is like relationships and trust building and this understanding that like you are going to own this eventually and we're not gonna make choices that you're not okay with to you know, owning at some point. That
0: just that sentence alone is huge. Yeah. Because I think It can be very easy for product development teams to come in and say, we know best. We're going to make the choices that we want to make because we're prioritizing exactly what we need only, right? It's a very – it's a short-term thinking mindset and it's natural to be clear. Like it is natural to think we need to make sure that we have full control because we want to – You know, run down the list, move the fastest, have the greatest control over design, make sure that we know exactly what we're using so that we can, you know, a lot of it is about moving fast. But especially when you're standing something up that you know is going to be a long-term part of this platform, Mm -hmm. you have to think long-term from the beginning. You have to include those people whose job it's ultimately going to be. Right to maintain that platform. Mm-hmm. And it's so much better if you do it at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> versus doing it at the end.
1: Yeah, for sure some of the skepticism and anxiety we've encountered in these situations is like, are you going to spin up this thing with this software, this proprietary software? And then is this going to make it us like need you forever? Like basically like, are you Mm. fleecing us? Are you going to make us dependent on you forever? Right. Are you trying
0: to, are you trying to lock yourself in? Lock
1: yourselves in. Right. Are we, are we not going to to operate without you? And so this is why we have emphasized this build for the handoff handoff. and like you own this. And our job is, you know, we really see our job is to work ourselves out of a job at some point. If you need us, we'll be here, but we're not going to set you up with something, but you're not licensing software for, from us. You're, we're not setting up something that is, we always use like pragmatic mainstream tools that are, you know, nothing, you know, obscure and crazy that only we know, you know, because that, that right. just doesn't make sense. These are, these have to be stacks that you can hire for and that you can, you know, that are well-documented and well-established. Exactly.
0: If, if you're making an obscure choice, there has to be a very compelling, very reason,
1: compelling reason why yes. you're doing it.
0: Yes. And sometimes there are, sometimes, sometimes there are. you have to make a niche decision because mm-hmm. you're like the requirement, there's very specific you know, latency requirements or something, and you need to make right. sure that you are. But most of the time, make the boring choice because that's yes, going to be... The one that's most maintainable. Exactly. We had someone say to us one time when they were talking about the sort of divide between digital product development and IT teams, we had someone say, you know, IT teams were built to configure exchange servers, not build product. Mm-hmm. And it's a heck of a quote I don't know if it's totally true and I don't know if it captures where we are today. Mm -hmm. I think there's some of that for sure. And I think you can certainly talk to it teams who don't want to be bothered and that can be, that can be the source of a lot of friction, Mm -hmm. but we've also talked to some very progressive CIOs and it orgs Mm -hmm. who are very much about enabling really great product development on their platforms. Yes. And if you think about it, going back to what you said at the beginning, if you think about their orientation about reducing risk for their users, right? In the short term and in the long term. And you can build in a collaborative environment from the beginning, then you're going to get a much better outcome, right? Versus the I don't know what this is and so I don't want to I don't want to engage with it, which can happen the the further the paths diverge.
1: That's right. That's right. Our advice, our best advice is to pull your IT department team close
0: into your project, into your world. Yeah. What are
1: we trying to do? Why are we trying to do it? How is this going to move our business forward? Like, how, I mean, the most progressive CIOs and IT departments that we work with, like, they want to meet users where they are. They want to make sure that the business is becoming digital. They see exactly. the future and they see, they take their job of empowering. Their you know teams and employees to get their job done you know more seriously than like just you know a no department nope can't have that nope can't have that and and I think on on our side you know in the product community and the and the product teams have to meet their IT folks where they are yeah. as well and not just say like all these guys do is set up in Exchange servers and say no right <laughs> some empathy you got to like think about where they're coming from right you got to bring them close that's right and say here's why I need access to Figma or hey, here's why I need this you know whatever it is here's why it's so important that we bring up this new cloud platform exactly. because it's going to, this is going to grow our business or at least our theory is <laughs> this is going to grow our business in leaps and bounds. And this is why it's so important for all of us.
0: Yes. The other thing that I've seen good IT groups really care about that product development teams sometimes overlook is cost, cost mm. of all of these services, yes. right? And it's very easy, especially in the, in the world where everything is a service, right? Yes. It's very easy to think, well, this is going to enable us to move so much faster. And so we're going to save on, on, you know developer energy which is cost and that's true mm-hmm. but also there is an ongoing and often growing you know service costs and maintenance costs that gets yes. bolted on at the end that product development teams are not thinking not about, thinking about. and right. there and there can be a really healthy give and take there mm-hmm. where you've got IT teams who are really thoughtful and thinking about how they can optimize for cost right. that gets built into the product development effort. Oh, um, for sure. A prime example of this, I feel like like recent to post-light is the advent of serverless technology, yes. right? Building backend functions instead of entire, you know, servers that have to be running 24-7 that just get invoked on the fly mm-hmm. and reduce costs dramatically. And yes. when you have an IT org that really embraces that and sees the power of that, there can be huge cost savings because there's a symbiosis, right? There's a give and take that's happening with, the people maintaining the infrastructure and the people that are building, you know, the software that's running on it.
1: That's right. I mean, we we live this. I mean, it's very common for a product team to be like, let's try something out, let's just stand up what we need to enable it and see see if it works. And then it works and there's incredible growth. And now suddenly you've got all these cloud instance, you know, databases growing to gargantuan sizes, logging. You, you know, this happened at PostLight, right? With um PostLight Reader, right? We started to see our AWS bill just get bigger and bigger right. and bigger. And then we're like, we're spending like, you know what was it? It was like it was seven figures a yeah. month on, on to run a free service. And then, you know, one of our, you know, more DevOps minded folks said, if we switch to serverless, we'll only pay for as much as we use. And it required a rewrite. But, but at that point, you know, we had millions of users and we knew we wanted the product to run. And so now we can optimize and we and we reduced our bill. That's the kind of thinking, you know, you need to have, right? Because if you're not collaborating with your IT group, right, then these costs are just mounting over time. It will build, you know, resentment. And then eventually this year. CIO or the CFO or somebody is going to be like, "What? Why is this costing so much?" It's like, well, these, you know, this product team wasn't thinking about our IT costs. You know, it's like, well, they would be if there was a collaboration between between those two.
0: Bingo. When I think about like the rise of DevOps and the idea mm-hmm. that that product development and operations need to actually be closer together, and in many cases, be one thing as opposed mm-hmm. to the development team does their work and then they hand it over to operations to run the thing. Mm-hmm. It often gets interpreted as like development infrastructure in terms of like. Continuous integration, pipelines, and th- and automated testing. And those are great and really important. And we often use those approaches in our development. But it also is about what we're talking about right now, which is like infrastructure optimization mm-hmm. that has to be done hand in hand. You have to have right. operational, really good operational thinkers and engineering working mm-hmm. in concert to really right. make smart choices for these platforms. And this is the thing. In our experience, there are some really good IT teams out there that care about this stuff, that want this to be really good, Mm -hmm. that do prioritize the ultimate end user experience, right, along with the overall cost and things like – and maintainability and things Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it can be really, really helpful and really fruitful to have these energies combined versus, Mm -hmm. you know, the sort of – Friction and, friction and throwing it over the wall Right, and, it
1: yeah. always says no the product team is cost us so much money yeah yeah, right exactly yeah. exactly it also just encourages good modular platform architecture right like totally do this on rds start with a small instance at, at this growth rate like what size of the database okay now like now we're in a position where we can increase the size of the database with like a click of a button you know and not, and, and it makes just the whole experience for everybody so much better yes you know, I think that the IT versus digital divide is real, but it's kind of, it's all of our jobs to bridge that gap. I think yes. this is the, the main takeaway that we want to make, right? That it's so important for both product and IT, and, and I think, you know, members of both of those communities listen to the show to meet in the middle and work together and be empathetic to each one <laughs> each other's each flights and, and mandates, right? That reducing risk versus taking risk, but also, you know, making making progress and moving forward. If you are struggling with your product team who keeps, you know, asking you for stuff that you can't give them or your IT team who is constantly telling you no and isn't thinking like a product team, please get in touch. We'd love to talk to you about this. Um, Send us a note at hello at postlight.com. This is a core struggle that so many businesses, particularly technology businesses that have been around for more than 10, 15 years are going through. We see this at all of our clients. Uh, so we love talking about this stuff, and we think it's just so so important for our industry. So get in touch. Hello at com. Thanks, as always, for listening. We, we hope to hear from you soon. Yeah. Bye,
0: everybody. Bye.